Hey guys, I wanted to let you know about a new project I've been working on for quite some time that I am so excited about. It is a fresh book just for all you mamas called Doing It All. Stop overfunctioning and become the mom and person you're meant to be. Doing It All is a simple framework designed to help you organize your stress, clear your mental clutter, and make more space for what really matters in your life. This book is about sharing my blueprint for achieving a centered life as a real working mom with real working mom problems. It's not about achieving a dazzling fantasy life of ease, wealth, and perfection, but a realistic life that's purposeful, organized, and aligned with your personal values. A life where you're able to prioritize what really matters and where everything, even laundry, has its place. Work calls? Yep. Time with your kids? Absolutely. Time for yourself? A top priority. Yes, you heard that right. This has nothing to do with manifesting positive vibes. You won't find a single affirmation here. Instead, you'll discover a practical framework, step-by-step plan, and over 40 targeted exercises, prompts, and activities. You can pre-order right now at amazon.com. Look for Doing It All by Dr. Whitney. Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. It's Dr. Whitney, and today I'm recording a special episode, just solo, just me, that is about self-worth. I recently wrote an article that was featured in Fortune. It got a lot of airplay on LinkedIn and on the Fortune site itself that was about this topic. And so I wanted to bring it here to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast because it resonated with so many moms out there. Of course, like everything, I got a few haters that said, like, maybe you should just leave your husband or I don't know, change your life. (laughs) But most of the response was from moms who feel the exact same way I do, which is this. Listen, We are taught a lot about different strategies and different tools that we can use to make things more fair and equitable in our workplaces and at home. One of of the great examples of this is Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play. I love Fair Play. What an amazing contribution, really, to the advancement of women. And I fully agree with Eve that... Our ability to change the world and make the world better for moms starts with what we're able to do in our own homes. She outlines, if you haven't read the book, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes, a really practical strategy for bringing awareness to the mental load in your household, to dividing and conquering 
tasks that need to be completed based on strength and based on skill level versus based on gender roles. And she also talks about trying to decide what are things that maybe in your family you don't need to focus on at all. Like you, neither of you, if you're living in a household with two people, two parents, need to actually be responsible for. What are some things that you can just throw away because you don't actually value them enough for either of you to be taking on those tasks? And also, what are some things you could delegate to other people? What are some things that you could be putting on the list that your kids should be doing or maybe you should pay for because uh, it's not worth your time, actually, in terms of the value of your hour to be doing those things? She also has this great concept in the book that's about kind of the minimum standard of care. So letting go if you are a woman and used to carrying all the mental load and taking care of all the things in your house of exactly how you would do it, of things looking perfect. And instead, deciding together with your partner, what is the way that you can both agree on that it needs to get done? And then letting it go from there. Perfect example is making lunches. So for example, if either myself or my husband, Scott, were responsible for making lunches in our household, we could decide together before we decided who's going to take on that task. Making lunches looks like this. It's made before the kids head out the door uh, to school. It doesn't have to be delivered to them. It has a fresh fruit and a fresh vegetable. It has protein and it has a calcium source. And beyond that, it can look however you want it to look. So that's kind of how minimum standard of care works. But I want to take a step back, and I did in the article, from these strategies, which are a great second step, to more foundational principles that I don't just believe the evidence bears out, hold women back from making huge strides in their ability to create equity and equality. And before you at me about, well, it's really because there's systemic issues and we've had decades and decades of inequities and inequality and gender discrimination, 100%. I'm not trying to blame the victim here, but we do as women at this point in 2023, do have a role to play in either perpetuating how we're treated in the workplace and at home or changing the game. So there are some things that we can do that can make a huge difference no matter what the circumstances are in our houses or at work, no matter what the policies are, no matter what the environment's like, we have control of certain aspects of our ability to be treated with the level of value that we have. So I'm going to go into that. First, I want to set the stage by telling you a story that I recently encountered. It's about a negotiation that I was having financially. I am not going to go into too many specifics because I want to make sure that it can be applicable to you in your life and you can really see yourself in this example. But I was just in a situation where I was having a negotiation around a contract about how much I should get paid. And the negotiation did center around money, but it also centered around the contribution that I had made to the team over a really, really long period of time. It centered around really the value of that competition. So as I went back and forth on this negotiation, 
the message that I kept receiving from the other side was, no, that work is not as valuable as you think that it is. Basically, you're not as valuable professionally as you think that you are. Unfortunately, this had been part of their relationship with this particular group for a really long period of time. And so when it came to this contract negotiation, I had to analyze myself and where I was and the reason behind some of my negotiation tactics and the way that I was going to approach this negotiation. I had to decide, is it really about money or is it really about value? Is it really about my integrity when it came to what I offer professionally? Because the way I set up the negotiation, I was actually at risk of losing a whole bunch of money. But I decided actually in the end that it was worth that for me because it was going to make it so that on the other end of it, no matter what the outcome was of the negotiation, I felt really good about standing my ground and continuing to state my value and continuing to hold that near and dear to my heart. And I knew that if I could do that, that would make it so that more and more negotiations that I have, the more and more that I encountered this type of situation, I would be stronger and stronger and stronger within myself. Now, years ago, three, four years ago, I know that I would not have approached the same situation in that same way. Here's why. As a woman, I care a lot deeply about being pleasing to everyone. I don't want to have it be that people felt that I was money grabbing. I don't want to have it feel like I was being too pushy or too much of a bleepity bleep bleep, right? Starts with a B. (laughs) I don't want that. I cared a ton that people thought that I was friendly. I cared a ton that people thought that I was a real true team player. And those things are important to me. I always want to show up with professionalism. I always want to show up with kindness. I always want to show up with compassion. I do care about teams succeeding. But those things overshadowed what I felt about myself and what I needed for myself. I needed to be pleasing. I needed to show up as a pleasing person more than I needed to show up for myself as someone who was taking care of myself. So... I had to bring some awareness to that conditioning that we all have as women in America from the earliest ages to be, quote unquote, a good girl, to not speak too loudly, to not be too brash, to not be too aggressive. And I had to constantly consider that as I was having this negotiation. That's number one. The other thing is I had to bring awareness within myself of what are the inequities that exist for women. I had to remind myself that for generations, we have been fighting to have the same level of respect, to not have paternalistic oversight over our work. So for example, there's this big debate that's happening right now about should uh, we have to all return to work in an office or can we do our work from home? For a lot of jobs, it does not matter if you are in the workplace or if you are sitting in your home office like I am right now recording this podcast. You can still get the same level, the same quality of work done when you're sitting in your office at home. And for a lot of us, 
actually, you're even more successful when you're sitting in your home office than you are at work because you don't have to take as much time for a commute because you're able to quickly take care of issues that need to happen at home that you're responsible for. You don't have to leave early. You're not as distracted. You're going to actually be able to focus more. Right. But we have a lot of companies that are saying, hey, no, you got to go back to work. To me, that's a tone deaf response to the current times we're living in. It says, we don't respect you enough professionally to believe that you are able to actually conduct yourself in a way that is in alignment with our mission and our values of this company. I believe that people are better than that. I believe that when we want to succeed professionally, when we have real goals and when we are fully invested in a team and we feel like that cult, that's a culture of people taking care of us, we want to show up as our best selves. And that remote work actually allows people, not just women, all people to be able to do that when the job allows for it. Okay. So number one, bring awareness. If you are having a hard time having equity in your workplace or at home, number one, bring awareness to the things that have happened in the past of what's led up to this moment from a societal perspective and also to your conditioning and the things that hold you back because you don't want to appear a certain way because you think that will make it so that people won't like you or that you won't get ahead. Mama, it is here and available for download. It's the new Modern Mamas Club app. We are so ready to join you on your personal journey from conflicted to centered. We want to take you on an evidence-based path from feeling conflicted all the time, from feeling pulled in all kinds of directions, from feeling burnt out to feeling really purposeful and aligned. As you move through your working motherhood experience, no matter what is happening around you. So go check it out in the App Store. Number two, really dig in to your self boundary. I've talked about this on other podcast episodes and other blogs about this idea of there are all types of boundaries that we have as individuals. There are money boundaries. What what amount of money am I going to loan to somebody or not loan to somebody because I know they'll never pay me back? What am I okay with in terms of people touching me? Even my kids hanging on me, right? What's okay with me and what's not? Um, What's okay in terms of my time? How much time will I give to other people or to things that I don't care about or that actually don't fuel me that are energy drains? So boundaries are a huge part of life in general. But oftentimes we forget about the most important boundary, which is a self boundary. In a self boundary, you are paying attention to, do I take the temperature of other people more than I take the temperature of myself? Do I listen to other people's needs? Do I consider other people's needs above my own needs? This doesn't mean that you're selfish, that you don't care about other people. But if you have a really poor self-boundary, it means that you are willing to abandon yourself, willing to abandon your needs for the sake of the team, for the sake of the bigger group, for the sake of an individual who you care deeply about. And it's no good because in the end, our body, our minds, all of us remembers that. 
It leads to resentment. It leads to a lot of physical symptoms like fatigue, like having headaches even sometimes or stomach aches. It leads to more anxiety because the body always remembers when we don't take care of it. And unfortunately, it remembers, tends to remember at the worst possible times. I'm sure some of you have seen those memes that come out that say like, Hey, if you don't find a time to take care of yourself, if you don't like really, really dig into self-care, your body's going to do it for you. And it's going to be super inconvenient. So you might as well just dig into taking care of yourself right from the very beginning. Okay. So self-boundary, thinking about when you come into these times where you feel like, I feel like I'm not being respected. I feel like I'm not getting ahead. I feel like I am not being valued in the way that I want to in my workplace or at home. Number one, awareness. Number two, self-boundary. Number three, fierce self-compassion. So I talk about self-compassion all the time. Self-compassion is the idea that you really deserve to treat yourself the same way you would a best friend. I wouldn't treat my best friend with criticism every single day, all day. I wouldn't say like, you dummy, you messed up. You're an idiot. When they mess up, I would probably consider like, well, it makes a lot of sense because maybe you were overstressed or you were overfunctioning, or you had so much on your plate or you were angry about this thing, right? I would really give that person the benefit of the doubt. But as moms, we are terrible at doing that for ourselves. We tend to be really harsh with ourselves. We tend to get down on ourselves. We tend to be really, really critical. So self-compassion is the idea of stopping, of validating the feelings that we're having, of recognizing the feelings we're having, of validating them, of recognizing that we're not alone in those feelings, and then of treating ourselves with as much kindness as possible. It doesn't mean that we let ourselves off the hook if we make a true mistake those things, we would do the same as we would with a, with a best friend. Like, yeah, you did mess up. Dang it. Shoot. But we can also feel some empathy for ourselves. Fear self-compassion takes it one step further. Fear self-compassion says, oh my gosh, I feel this certain way. That makes sense that I feel this way. I feel angry that I didn't get the raise and my male partners did. That makes sense that I feel that way. Validating the emotion having common humanity, saying, I bet there's leagues of women who feel this exact same way. And then the fierceness comes with getting a little mad about it on our own behalf. So (laughs) I don't know if some of you are like me, where I'm like, someone does something to somebody that I love and I'm like, oh my gosh, the earrings are coming off. I'm about to like throw down with you. I get angry if someone messes with my kids, if someone messes with my husband, if my husband's not treated well, if my best friend got treated poorly. But a lot of times we don't recognize when we get angry ourselves inside of ourselves that we can use that anger to be fierce and to be an advocate for ourselves to say, no, I'm not going to let people treat me this way. When you have fierce self-compassion, it allows you to set stronger self-boundaries. Because you're coming at a place not of pride or not of like, I'm so upset, I don't know why, of fully understanding the reason why you feel so angry or so fired up and then using that to fuel you making some decisions that meet your own needs. The last piece of this is patience, practice, and accountability. And you can practice this using some compassionate assertiveness language when you're talking with other people. Okay, so let's go back to fair play. 
I love Fair Play because it's an amazing idea where Eve Rodsky, the author, talks about the strategy that we can use to create more fairness in our households and hopefully to use that to extrapolate, to use that to have more fairness in our workplaces and equity as well. Love it, right? But I actually think that Fair Play itself is really just an idea. It's a great idea, such a good idea. But if we don't have the accountability with other people to put it into practice, it's not going to work. Here's an example. My husband and I, when we first started talking about building awareness, bringing awareness to the tasks that I was taking on and the mental load that I was taking on, my husband was very willing in a therapy session with our couples counselor to sit there and say, yeah, that's so true. Whitney does do all that. Yeah, it's true. So we had all the awareness in the world to sit there and talk about it. Our couples therapist, this is before fair play even was a thing, said, hey, sit down. Instead of talking about constantly who does what, who does what, sit down, divide it up, and decide who's going to do what. Okay? Make it a little bit more practical. Make it more of a business thing. Have a meeting every week. Okay? Sounds familiar, right? So we did that. We sat down, we listed out, these are all the things that need to get done. These are a few things we should share. These are, you know, which maybe wasn't the best idea, but like, here's some things we're going to share. Here's some things you're going to take. Here's some things that I'm going to take. It wasn't as structured as it could have been, but it was a start. We brought that awareness. And I had that fear of self-compassion of like, I don't want to do this anymore. It makes sense that I'm angry. I was trying to set a boundary of saying like, you know what? I, I can't be the one that overfunctions for every single person in our house. I I had the awareness piece, but what I was missing was the accountability because here's what happened. We had that one session where the therapist, where we talked about it, and then we never came back to it again with another person. We had the list. It was on the refrigerator. I would say to my husband, my partner in a week, Hey, remember how you're supposed to do this part? Cause it's your job. And he'd be like, yeah, I'll get to that. Okay, so then the next week, <laughs> I'd be like, hey, are you, are you going to do it? Because remember, we said it was going to be like, here's the minimum standard of care. You would just do it like within like three days. It'd be the time that we would all do our chores. Like, here's the stuff we need to do. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm just real stressed at work this week, so I can't do it. And what would I do? I would then take it on. I would still do it because we didn't have... A, weekly meeting set out where we would chat together about how's it going. We also didn't have an outside source of people saying, hey, what are you doing? Scott, why aren't you doing those chores with her? You're not doing your part of the list. We didn't set up the accountability. We also didn't have other people who were in couples who were talking about how they were actually also dividing up chores. So that social accountability and personal accountability was not there for us. What I had to do to actually make it so that I was doing less was, number one, speak with some compassionate assertiveness, which means I told my husband, hey, listen, buddy. I get that you're really stressed out at work. I get you have a lot going on. And also I do too. I have so much empathy for you. I have so much compassion for what you're doing, but I guess we're going to have to just take this thing off our list of to-dos because I can't take another thing on, right? That's what compassionate assertiveness does. It allows you to say, I understand. I see where you're coming from. I get it. And also I can't be the one that holds this burden. You're being empathetic, but you're still holding a line. 
The second thing we did in terms of practice was to start to be around other couples whose wives and whose husbands in some situations, whose partners were also on board with wanting to make a change. So it became our social norm that as couples in groups on a Saturday cookout, that we were all talking about this. So everybody looked kind of bad if they weren't sharing more of the mental load. The third part is I decided I was going to have some patience. I know that there are a lot of people that talk about strategies about sharing the load and mental load. They're like, hey, so you should do this. It's going to work. It's going to happen over time, over time, over time. It's going to be great. It's just going to take like a couple of weeks. So then you're going to get on the right track. That did not happen in my relationship. And it's still not perfect in my relationship. I still do more than my partner does. Okay. He knows all this stuff. He knows I write about it. I'm someone who's an advocate for all of this. And yet here we are with me still doing more of the mental load of the household tasks of the school reaching out to me first when there are things that happen with our kids. I think some radical acceptance around the fact that it took decades and centuries for us to get to this point as women with women being the ones who take on more, who have less equity, where it's not fair. Having that perspective really helps me to understand that it's going to take generations and generations for this to change. That I'm hoping that my kids' partners are more equitable with them. That I'm hoping that their kids' partners are more equitable with them. One of the things that Scott and I do is talk sometimes um, about what do we need to do to fake it till we make it so that we can practice being more equitable? And what are the things that we need to be really conscious of in big moments that we are out loud about for our kids? So if we had a son, we would for sure be being like, hey, here's how you do laundry. Here's how you wash your own dishes. For our daughters, here's how you do some chores and the other person in the family does chores. That's why household chores, I love for kids because it really helps them to see they're not supposed to do all of it but they do have a part no matter what their gender is. We try to be as out loud as possible when we are being as aware as possible. We've had as much compassionate, assertive conversations as possible about my husband saying, your mom is actually busy doing her professional work right now. So I'm the one who's going to be helping with making lunches today. We try to model that as much as possible and we're not perfect. We have to have patience, but that's what it takes to actually make strides. Now, I've been talking a ton about your personal life. How do you really show up for yourself and build that awareness, decide on your value, that your time, that your energy matters just as much as everybody else's in your life? How do you practice setting boundaries, especially self-boundaries? How do you build in fierce self-compassion and practice that? And how do you have more patience? But these things all apply to your workplace as well. And what I see is either positive feedback loops for you or negative feedback loops for you, depending on where you start. So if you don't have anything that you're doing to advocate for more equity in your household, even if you know all the things, know all the strategies, if you're not constantly practicing and pushing in your household, it's going to be harder for you to do that at home or at your workplace, excuse me, your workplace. If, for example, you're not doing that at your workplace, going to be harder for you to do it at home. But here is the amazing thing. If you just decide on one thing that comes your way, for example, for me in this contract negotiation, this is a moment where I am going to be so hyper aware of what are the different factors. This is a moment for me to take a stand. It only takes 
one or two small wins for you to say, that didn't crush me. Oh my gosh, people do still kind of like me. Or even if they don't like me, they respect me. That allows you to build that momentum to move forward at home and professionally. So if you are a mom who's feeling stuck with all the strategies that are out there, that's feeling like as you look at all the information that's out there about, man, the mental load is on moms and it should be better for us. And you're like, yeah, and I know all the solutions, but somehow they don't work in my family and my partner will not get with it. I want you to give yourself a little bit of grace and to think about, are there some other foundational pieces that you might need to work on first? I know that I did and that deciding that I needed to have self-worth first before I applied any strategies made all the difference. See you next time, mama. Hey mama, if you want more of the Modern Mommy Doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.